Last week, if you remember, Jay preached on the subject, the gift nobody wants. This morning, we're looking at the gift everybody needs. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for a love that grows deeper and richer the more we experience it, the more we study it. And we pray today as we seek not only to understand your love, but then to share it with others. We pray you'll give us insight into the power of encouragement and affirmation that we're called to give. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Being Mother's Day, it seemed appropriate to discuss a dimension of Christian love that moms seem to do best. And that is giving encouragement. I've had that reawakened in me as I watched my newest granddaughters, and I'm amazed at how their moms lavish praise upon them for everything they do from almost the first day they're born, from whether it's a good burp after eating to giving affirmation for their first attempts at smiles. And you know what? None of us ever outgrow our need to hear what's right and good about us. There's not a person here today that doesn't thrive on hearing affirming things about who we are and what we do and what people see in us. Philosopher Martin Buber describes the power of affirmation this way. The greatest thing any person can do for another is to confirm the deepest thing in him or her. To take the time and have the discernment to see what's most deeply there, most fully that person, and then to confirm it by recognizing and encouraging it. I believe that one of the most important dimensions of Christian love happens when we help other persons to see themselves as Jesus sees them. And how does Jesus see us? As persons forgiven, filled with potential, in spite of the many detours and foul-ups that have cluttered our lives. And that's very important for us to know, that God's love doesn't go up and down with our performance. I'm constantly amazed at the positive role encouragement plays in my own life. In the hours before Easter worship services, I was filled with anxiety about my ability to meet the needs of all the people who came with such high expectations. And one of my colleagues came in early just to talk that day. And he reminded me that God would do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And as we talked, I realized I knew all these things. I've been telling them to others, but that day I needed encouragement. I needed to get in contact with God, and, and it happened because I, I had a friend who cared enough to encourage me. You see, God's love reaches us through flesh, and sometimes God as spirit isn't enough. We, we have to have him up close, and he comes to us through his body, the church. And so for Mother's Day, I wanted to urge not just moms. I wanted to urge all of us to take a, a, a new focus on expressing Christ's kind of love by giving the gift everybody needs, the gift of encouragement to those particularly close to us. And today's text offers us some wisdom in how to do it. First, it's important we understand that giving encouragement is God's command to every Christian. This isn't a luxury. It isn't an option. It's right with all of the other of God's mandates to the Christian. We read, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Have you ever thought how you want people to remember you? It's an interesting question. And reflecting on it, Personally, I would rejoice if I was remembered as an encourager. 
a dispenser of God's grace, a person who always had the right words for those who came up with a need. Our culture, as we all know, is drowning in negativism. We hear so much destructive input in the classroom, in the workplace, in our relationships, sometimes even in our marriages. And I believe that people are starving for an encouraging word. Think with me a minute. Where do you go when you need a lift for your self-esteem? Do you have anyone to turn to when you're really having a down day and you just need somebody to remind you of who you are? My son kind of stressed the importance of this to me the other day when uh, he said this about a close friend of our family. Dad, I always call this person when I need a transfusion, a, a transfusion of feeling good about myself. And he really does. This person lives in Seattle. And every time Paul is having a down day, he'll, he'll call her. And then he feels good. Do you have somebody like that? Would you like to be somebody like that? Wouldn't it be great if when people needed encouragement, they thought of you and they just picked up the phone or came over and sat down with you just because when they're with you, they felt better about themselves. I believe that's a very practical dimension of being a Christian who dispenses Christ's love because that's what Jesus does for us. That's what ought to happen when we're in his presence in church. We ought to have a, a new warm feeling inside of just how much he loves us. I believe that we can influence people for the better when they believe as Christians that we view them as Jesus sees them. And how is that? Full of potential, forgiven, lovable, cherished, and always bright for a new beginning. That's a partial list of how Jesus sees you today. Paul urges the Ephesian Christians to build each other up. Well, we don't do that in our strength. We only can build another person up with the love of Jesus that's in us. It's Jesus who does the building. But we need to do this for at least two reasons that came to my mind. First, in our kind of world, we easily get down on ourselves. And we need almost hourly reminders of our worth in God's sight because there's so much other data to pull us down. And secondly, and perhaps equally important, because of the negativism out there, we easily slip into the sin of dissecting other people, labeling them, holding distorted perspectives of their value. We almost get into the habit of our culture that if we talk about anybody or think about anybody, it's usually negative. And you might want to even check yourself out of some of the thoughts you've had since you've come to worship. It's amazing how that stuff can invade us and we get this distorted view of people. I found a true story that was new to me that I find that many of you already knew it that illustrates the horrible cost of evaluating people through distorted lenses, of labeling them, of limiting them in terms of their potential. It seems that a humble looking couple approached Dr. Charles Elliott, the president of Harvard in 1985. And he only agreed to see this couple because the man had recently been elected senator from that new and not very important state, California. The couple told Dr. Elliot that their only son had died of typhoid fever a year earlier, and it was his dream to attend Harvard, and so they wanted to build a memorial to him at the university. Well, they kind of walked in, and he sized them up as a kindly, naive couple, but probably not with too many resources, so he responded that it costs a great deal of money to build a, a Harvard building. And instead, they might wish to endow a chair or even something less, but why don't they go and talk to the dean? So he ushered them sort of out of his office. But as 
the meeting was over and they were leaving, the wife asked Dr. Elliot how much it would cost to duplicate Harvard in another part of the United States and endow it so students wouldn't have to pay a tuition. Elliot was amazed and amused by the question and after thinking about it, he just threw out a figure, oh, probably $5 million. The husband looked at his wife and said, well, Jane, we could manage that, couldn't we? And before Dr. Elliot could recover, the couple had left. Now imagine Elliot's surprise when he learned a year later the couple had begun plans to start a university in California in honor of their son. And Leland and Jane Stanford donated their estate of $20 million to endow the Leland Stanford University. And think of the difference for Harvard had Dr. Elliot not looked at this couple through the wrong lenses, given them the wrong label, failed to see the potential. And you know, that's an interesting story, and it's true. But how much more important is it that when we put the wrong label and view a human being with the wrong lenses? How many lives have been permanently distorted, perhaps as when they were young and given the title slow but beautiful, um, not a good learner, but they'll make it. Um, we have so many labels that we give children that follow them all through the classes and they become what we call them. Or maybe you've been called various things. Or we label adults. We judge them. And that's a habit of our culture and it's deadly. And Jesus says we can't do that as human beings, particularly as Christian human beings, because we're called to see each other as God sees us and he never labels us. He always sees us as his children, full of potential. So back to Mother's Day. Thank God for moms who view us through the lenses of grace-filled love. And then they tell us what we see, they see over and over and over again. And then thank God that as followers of Jesus, we, we're called to the wonderful ministry of allowing our Lord's love to shine through us through the vehicle of our simply giving encouragement, affirmation, looking for what's right in somebody and telling them about it. Think of what happens when we take time to see things in people that no one ever stops long enough to look for and above all to tell them about. That kind of encouragement God uses to help people grow and change and that's why it's important. That's why it's a command to build each other up. Secondly, to encourage means we fill our minds with thoughts that reflect God's thoughts about his children. As I was thinking about Paul, he told us the, the command to do it. But what has to proceed so it happens? And he goes correctly into the thought life. Thought, thoughts precede words. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, think about these things. Imagine the impact if we started our day viewing people with thoughts that are the thoughts of Jesus, that we see them as pure and lovely and gracious, that we don't label them. That positive support would become a catalyst to build up a person's sense of self-worth. I have a hobby. I like classic cars. Most of you might know that. I've restored a lot of cars, and currently I have a 57 T-Bird that's 40 years old that looks like brand new because somebody saw its potential years ago and they began the labor-intensive process of restoring it. I go to car shows and often at a car show the presenter will have a picture history of their car and you'll see that let's say a, a beautiful GTO out of the 60s and they'll show the original picture where they found it as a rusty hulk but they saw potential in it and they went through that process till it's now restored and it's a prize-winning beauty that everybody who walks by 
desires, covets. And, and maybe I like cars and I like restoration because it's a parable reminding me of how God saw potential in Walt Gerber one day. And through the sacrifice of Jesus, he enabled me to become a brand new person. In fact, that's better than a restored car. When we become Christians, we're brand new. And it's when we know what God has done for us, when we look at the past and then look at the present, somehow we're motivated then to encourage others on their spiritual journey because of what Jesus has done for us. I like to think that this text is about holding up a picture of what a person can become. Prize winners, cherished people injected with the grace of Jesus Christ. You see what this does? What it does is it frees us to understand your job and mine as Christians is not to fix people. I love to tell you from this pulpit, we as Christians don't fix anybody. That's God's job. Uh, maybe one of the great heresies of the Christian faith has been that we assume God's responsibility and we become witch hunters and judge, uh, judges and all these things where we feel we've got to go discover people's sins, expose them and fix them. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, and God forbid that we get into his territory. What is our task? Over and over again, we find it's one thing in the New Testament, and that's to create an environment of love where people can be built up, where they find the love of Jesus for them reflected through us, through words and thoughts that are lovely and true and gracious. And once they see how God sees them, that opens the door that one day maybe they'll come to Jesus and accept the grace of his salvation. Thinking about thoughts and words. If we played a tape recording of our conversations this weekend, would our words reflect infectious care and concern for others? Tenderness toward their mistakes and sins and weaknesses and unwillingness to listen to gossip and slander about them? Would we want to protect people until the Holy Spirit can get there and fix them? Looking past each other's inadequacies and failures frees us to see their potential. We see what God sees. And you know, that's so important. Is there anyone here today, really, who needs more information about our failures and our sins and our inadequacies? I'm always amazed that sometimes we Christians feel we've got to inform people about our downside. We know that. The good news is that we need friends who will be communicators of hope that God isn't finished with us yet. And in spite of our sins and mistakes, there's still hope if we want there to be because the grace is available if we'll only reach out and take it. I have a friend who anonymously helped a poverty-stricken family. Specifically, he gave a gift to their 10-year-old boy named Emmanuel. And although that boy didn't know my friend by name, he sent a card through the person who mediated the gift. And he read the gift to our covenant group, uh, the card to our covenant group. And I was impressed with this sentence. The little boy said, thank you for knowing I exist. That's a profound thought. Thank you for knowing that I exist. You see, giving encouragement tells people, not only do we know they exist, we recognize the potential God has placed in them, and they haven't fouled up their lives so much that there's not always a chance for a new beginning. That's grace. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's the joy. That's the gift we can share with people as followers of Jesus. And the biggest thing we can tell them also is we're going to stand by you while the restoration process is in process 
And we're not, never going to give up on you. you. Do you remember some time ago we had Sam Huddleston here? He was a pastor from the North Bay. And he told us about his father who came to visit him while he was in prison. And I heard him five times. And I just can't forget this dimension. He said every time his father came, he would say to Sam, Sam, you're a bad boy at times, but you're my boy, and I'm not going to give up on you. That persistent encouragement God used to so change Sam, he left prison and he ended up in the ministry. And you know, that's the, that's the gift I would hope that you receive when you come here, that of course we recognize we're sinners, that's why we're here. But God, through us, says it over and over again, I know you need saving and I died for you and you've accepted it and you keep fouling up, but I'm not going to give up on you. And we're going to say that to each other. We're not going to give up on each other. This isn't a place, as I've said over and over again through the years, it's not a house of saints. It's a hospital for sinners and we're all in the process of getting well and God forbid we ever become anything else. I want our church to be a place where people find encouragement while God continues his restoration process in our lives. I want us to be known in this community as a group of believers who always look for and find the best in people, who help people feel better about themselves because they spent time with us and with Jesus. We're a church who gives others the benefit of the doubt. It's vital we recognize the power of our thoughts about people. And maybe you want to just do a checklist with you today in terms of how you view others. And and think with me just one final moment. Doesn't it just make common sense? Who likes to be around a judge, a critic, a high control people, person, someone who's never satisfied with what you've done. It's always another stretch, another accomplishment that you've got to achieve before they can love you. The Bible says we Christians are to be the aroma of Christ. And I believe that aroma means we're encouragers and givers of hope and optimistic about people because we follow the greatest encourager who ever lived. Well, I always have to give a PS to a message like this. I know there are those for whom this message is frustrating for a lot of reasons. One of them is maybe you know people who are on a very self-destructive course right now and you want to help them and you just want to get in and grab them by the hand before they get swallowed up by the quicksand. I offer you that the most life-changing leverage we can bring upon an individual for change is to pray for them. You see, when we pray, God's power is unleashed in that person's life. They don't have to put up their defenses against us. When we pray, we put the responsibility of fixing people where it belongs on God's shoulders. Meanwhile, because we eliminated fixing from our agenda, we're free to love them and affirm in them what we see and let them know we're praying for them. William Law says, there's nothing that makes us love a person so much as praying for them. And I need to tell you, it works. You remember Carla Faye, the woman recently executed in Texas for murder? She committed an awful murder, but she became a Christian while on death row. And one of our members that I, I, I wasn't aware of this, began communicating with her and simply giving her love and affirmation and prayer and letters. And by mail, their communication grew and, and the only thing he could do for her was to pray for her. But this member shared with me the last letter Carla Fay wrote to him before her execution and it demonstrates the power of prayer and encouragement. 
Well, my friend, unless the Lord does his miracle of commutation, which he very well can and may, this will be my last letter to you. Our next communication will be in heaven. But I couldn't leave this earth without first telling you what a joy, a delight, a blessing it's been to be your friend. Your letters brought smiles to my face, laughter to my soul, joy to my spirit. Your transparency in your good times as well as bad times was so refreshing. Thank you for sharing your life with me. And then she says this, dare to see yourself as Jesus does, my friend, until we meet again, Carla Fay. You know, that's a dramatic uh, illustration of the impact of giving encouragement. They're not all that dramatic. But the word from scripture today is dare to see yourself as Jesus sees you this morning. And there, then dare to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see others as Jesus sees them. And then dare to tell them. Being Mother's Day weekend, I wanted you to do for each other what loving, wise moms did for us if you were fortunate to have that kind of mom. And that is to give all the encouragement we possess to as many as we can with all the energy the Holy Spirit can inspire in us. And the result will be that we'll build each other up. We'll be obedient to Jesus Christ. That act points people to the life-giving grace of Jesus. In fact, I think it's the only thing that really brings people to Jesus Christ. And then they begin to recognize there's a free gift available through trusting him as Savior. And then they can become a new creation in him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we study your love and it grows deeper and more surprising and more wonderful every week. Thank you that you would die for people like us so we could be restored back into your image. Thank you we can share that good news with others. And may, beginning today, we have a whole new agenda of affirming people, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.